My role with Huntington Kids Camp last year was to work with like, uh, I, I kind of roamed around a little bit, filled in where people needed help. So when you think of Huntington Kids Camp, think of like VBS on the go. Like it wasn't here, it was at A.D. Lewis Community Center. So, but we had a craft, we had a game, we had music, uh, a, a teaching um, um, station. And so I would roam around, but I would usually, if you know me, I always end up with the games. So I'm playing with the kids. We're playing kickball, and, and I just I find myself always kind of out there playing games with the kids. And uh, that's kind of my role at Spring Hill. Um, many of you volunteer at Spring Hill Elementary, uh, which I just love uh, that we have that partnership with them. And um, so my favorite part of Spring Hill is just being outside with the kids during recess, playing basketball, um, and I just love hanging out with kids, playing, interacting with them, and, uh, and dominating them in basketball. And, uh, you know, to this day, no fourth grader has beaten me. Um, and, and so over time, as I beat fourth graders in basketball, uh, my confidence has grown. I'm not a very good basketball player, but I'm able to beat the fourth graders. And, uh, and so I know going into it, like I'm not concerned, really, um, uh, maybe every September I've got to look at the new kids and see who, you know, what third graders shot up or whatever. But at this point in the year, I'm not concerned about the fourth grade class. Uh, like I'm, I'm owning them. And so there's something about winning builds confidence. And uh, as we think through um, this Moses series, um, you know, Moses, you know, we read about his death last week. And he's passed it on to, to Joshua. And so Joshua is getting ready to go to battle. So they're still on the eastern side of the promised land. And God's, this Joshua 1 through uh, 9 is like this, his commission where God's giving him instructions to go fight. And um, Joshua needs confidence. And, and God instructs his confidence. He fuels it by uh, by telling him, like, I'm going to be with you, I'm not going to leave you, that just trust me in this, that I'm going to be, because you're hanging out with me, you're going to be victorious. And so this morning, I want us to look at this passage with this idea of call to war. So this is Joshua's call to war. He's getting ready to go to battle. They're getting ready, in the next few weeks, we're going to see they're going to cross the Jordan River, they're going to go in, they're going to fight the battle of Jericho, and, uh, and they're going to conquer some of the land. As we read this, we could very easily leave this morning thinking, well, how in the world does that apply to my life? Like, we, we don't really have, uh, you know, there's not land. God's not calling the church to conquer a land. So what in the world do we do? What do we as the church do with this passage in Joshua? Well, as we're reading it, and I was, as I've been preparing it, it, it strikes me how similar it is to Matthew 28, to the Great Commission. So this morning, what I want us to do is think of Joshua 1 through 9 as this was maybe a good commission. It was God's commission to Joshua and to the Israelites to go conquer the land. Then I want us to look at Matthew 28 as what we've called, what the church has called the Great Commission and see how that is what God has called us to today. So the call of war for us is different than Joshua, but we are both at war. Let's make no mistake. You are at war today. It may not involve a sword and a shield, but there's a battle going on in your life. 
So we're going to read Joshua 1, 1 through 9, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and kind of put those together. So let's uh, jump into this passage together. Joshua 1, 1 through 9 says this, says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now let's read Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, I, uh, I come uh, this morning just needing you. Uh, there is no way I have any authority or power to change the hearts of these men and women in this room. Uh, Lord, only you can move the hearts of, of men. And so, Lord, I, I'm dependent upon you. I, I need you. I need you to move. I need you to work in our hearts. Uh, Lord, I, I, uh, I need you to help me to communicate uh, the true gospel. So I pray that you'd speak through me this morning. I pray that lives would be changed. And uh, I pray that we would all be ready uh, for this calling to war. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're looking at this morning this idea of call to war. That we're all in a battle. There's there's a spiritual element to this. Um, You're facing temptation, struggles. There's some enemy that you might want to put a face on, and I just want to warn you, don't put a face on the enemy. The enemy is not uh, your, your spouse, it's not a child, it's not an in-law, it's not a co-worker, it's not a, a, a roommate um, uh, or, or a professor. The, the, the enemy is, is, is Satan and his army, uh, and, and, and that is where you know, we are doing battle and so, as we're looking at Joshua and Matthew, I want us to see four truths um, from this passage that stand out to encourage you that as you're at war, as you're at battle, these are some truths to hold you, to give you some confidence. So, number one, we're going to see that our God is in control. 
We see that um, really clearly in verse 2 of Joshua. Verse 2 says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all his people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now, it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to actually be able to do it. God is saying, I'm giving this land to you. That's extremely powerful to think, like, God can shape, He can control the hearts of men. We, we see this very similarly in, in Matthew 28, this authority idea of control. Jesus says, Jesus came and He said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a lot of authority in heaven and on earth. Some of you, you have places of authority. Maybe like you're a manager, you're an owner, you're a, maybe an RA. That, that's pretty good authority, right? Like you can tell people what to do. This is authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus says, I have that kind of authority. Whatever I say, that's what's going to happen. Like, wow. So we have a God who's in control. Um, Psalm 115, there's, I could give you 50 verses proving this point that God is in control, but here are just a few. Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That's incredible. I can't even do what I please in my own house. Like, I, it pleases me for my sink to work. My sink doesn't work right now, does it? Or in our bathroom, I cannot get this clog out of the sink. It's driving me crazy. It pleases me to get it out, but I don't have the skill to get it out of my sink. Yet God can do whatever He pleases. It's incredible. It pleases Him to speak things into existence, so He just speaks things into existence. It pleases Him, as we've been walking through the Moses series, to part the Red Sea. And so he just parts the Red Sea. I, I don't have this kind of authority, this kind of control, power. Our God has that kind of control and power. Do you believe that this morning? That we have a God who's in control. That right now, I, I, I love thinking about this. Right now, we are spinning. And you probably haven't even thought about that today, right? We're all spinning. We're tilted and we're spinning. And then we're rotating around the sun, so they say. That's a joke. Just, I believe that, just for the record. But right now, like, we're, we're not, we're spinning at the right speed to where we're not in chaos. And the earth is tilted, you know, just so perfectly to where we're not freezing or burning up. Our God is in control. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So you think of turning your hand, controlling that water. God's saying, the kings that you're so scared of and nervous about, they're like water in my hands. God is in complete control. He's not up there going, oh, this is election year. Oh, no. What are we going to do? 
Oh, no, there's another king that's coming up. God is in complete control. I read this verse last week from Matthew's gospel, Matthew 16. So I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The God's in control. The church wins. You, Christian, you win. And nothing can stop the church from winning. We are victorious. Why? Because our God is in control. He is the promise maker, and he is the promise keeper. God keeps his promises. And if he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So he says the gates of hell can't stop the church. The gates of hell can't stop the church. Our God is in control. Next we see um, to this call of war, we see this idea that, well, what's this calling of? And and so he um, shows us here that our God reveals his mission. So our God is in control. Our God reveals his mission. We see that also in verse 2. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into this land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. So he makes it very clear of this purpose. So it's not like when Moses dies, they're not going, oh, man, like, what are we going to do? We're, we're so confused, like, What's God's will for my life? Are we supposed to go back to Egypt? Uh, you know, what, what, what does God want me to do? God makes it really clear for Joshua and his people what he wanted them to do. Arise. Go over this Jordan. It couldn't be any more clear. He, he gave them the place. He gave them the means. He makes it really clear. Likewise, great commission for the church Jesus says this, he says, go, go and make disciples of all nations. That's, that's our mission right there. So Joshua's mission was to go to this land and conquer it. And they were going to divide it up. And as we walk through Joshua, we'll see this happen. Over the next few weeks, months, we'll see Joshua's victory and how they divide the land. Um. But here in, in, Ma- in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, his great commission to the church, we see it's a command to go. It's not to stay where you are. It's not to go back to slavery, to Egypt. It's to go and make disciples. Make disciples of who? Of all nations. See, this is what I love about the church. The church is borderless. Like Israel, you know, you had like, okay, from, from the great... River, Euphrates, to the Jordan, you had these borders and parameters. This is, a, this is why missions matter. This is why we have to keep missions in front of us. This is why we're praying for Germany right now. It's because it's made disciples of all nations. The church is borderless. This is not American religion. This is, a, this is something for all people. In fact, that word um, nation there is ethnos. So think of like ethnic groups. It's, not, it's, it's even more than what we understand of nations. Because when I say nations, you probably think of like, you know, Germany. We think of Syria, Iran, India. My goodness, let me just tell you about India. India 
is, so when you read this word like ethnos, it's, it's really like ethnic groups. Um, India, just do a little plug for India. Uh, if any of you just want to um, help your prayer time, I've downloaded, this, I've downloaded this app called the Joshua Project. And every day the Joshua Project will send you a people group to pray for. Right now, India is wearing me out. Like, I'm just, I'm heavy every day for India. Because for the, about the last month, the Joshua Project has you praying for India. And, um, and every day, there's a different people group in India. I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, for the past month, there's been, and, and it tells you the population of that people group. And then it tells you how many people are Christians. Uh, and so, about every day, I'm reading this people group. That's different from the day before, and it's, you know, it's easy to, to see like 1.5 million, 2 million, 3 million Indians, because there's, you know, there's over a billion people live in India, and so there's all these different ethnic groups in India that are unreached, like, like uh, just the other day I was reading it, it was a little over 2 million believers, and it was 0.02% were Christian, and that, and that was a good day. Many days has been, you know, 1.5, 2.5 million, and it's 0.00. And this day I saw the 0.02, and I, and I got a little bit encouraged, and I thought, it's not even a whole percent. And it's just weighing down of, of the great need to go. Um, and so, man, I pray that God raises up people. Part of my prayer, I've been praying this every day in 2020, that God would raise up people from this congregation that would go somewhere. Not because I don't like you. <laughs> that's, that's a different prayer list. No, I'm teasing again. Uh, but God wants us to go. We can't just stay here and collect in our little groups. God is about all nations. So God wants us to go. That every There's, there's these people groups in India that deserve to hear the gospel. They have no idea uh, what, what that even means. And so I've just, I even came home, I don't know, was it Thursday, Friday? I told Olivia, I said, I don't know what this means, but I just, I just got online today and I just looked at Rosetta Stone Hindi. And I just thought, I don't know, I don't really, I know a few words in Hindi. Uh, and, and man, there's all these millions and millions and millions of souls in India that need to hear the gospel. And, and yet we're fishing from the same pond in a sense, you know, so many churches in, in Huntington and West Virginia and America and, and, and with opportunities for, you know, even if this church stopped, there's still, you guys could all find another church in Huntington. That's not the case in India. Uh, there, there's, there's, no, there's no church in many of these cities for them to go to. There's no Bible for them to have in their hand because many of them, as I've been reading and convicted about, they can't even read. Uh, and so... Uh, so our, our call is to go to all nations, and I'm just praying, like, Lord, please raise up people. If it's me, I'll go. Um, um, but we're called to go to all nations, and what are we doing and while we're there? It's not, it's not just humanitarian work. You know, I'm not saying that's wrong. I think it's part of what we're doing. We're taking care of physical needs, but you see the idea is we're called to make spiritual needs met, to make disciples. That's what we're called to do. To make a disciple. A disciple is someone who follows 
the teachings of a rabbi. And so in this case, Jesus is saying that he's the rabbi to go as he's made disciples. He has the 12 disciples, well, 11 at this point. Um, and uh, as he's made these 11 disciples, he's telling them now it's their turn to go make disciples of all nations. Uh, and, and so that is our calling. That's what God is calling us to do. That is your mission. So some of you are wondering, like, what's God's will for my life? Uh, what major should I have? I, I, I really don't think God is too concerned about your major. All right, let me just let that set in for a minute, because some of you, you might not like how I said that. My point is, is God's more concerned with what you do with that major than what major you're in. Okay, And so whether you're in education or in science or in art or English or if you could care less about college and you're going to trade school or you could care less about trade school and you just want to go to the military or fill in the blank, some civic job here in Huntington, just do it with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And while you're doing while you're working that job, make a disciple. Look on your street where you live. The hobbies that you're a part of. So a phrase we use here is where do you work, live, and play? How can you make disciples in those areas? That's your mission. And what I'm so afraid of is some of you, you've been in the church for years. And if I were to ask you, name one disciple that you've made. It might be as quiet as it is right now. Who are you investing your time into? That's what it means to make a disciple. You're investing in someone. You're passing on something. Just as Moses passes his legacy on to Joshua, Joshua's going to pass it on. We have to pass on the gospel. Who are you investing in? Who are you making disciple of? So God's, he's, our God is in control. Our, our God reveals his mission. Third, we're going to see that our God desires obedience. You're going to see some distinct um, differences between the Joshua passage and the Matthew passage. So let's look at Joshua. Joshua 1, verse 7 says this. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you have good success. Let me just unpack this. So one, you see the idea of meditation, that we're supposed to meditate on the book of the law. A biblical view of meditation is different than what our culture would understand meditation. Our culture understands meditation much like Far Eastern religions. This idea of emptying yourself, that, that's not what biblical meditation is. It's not about emptying yourself, getting in this right state of mind. Biblical meditation means bringing in thoughts, that you're supposed to think deeply upon Scripture. And so in order to meditate on Scripture, now think about the context. This is written to a bunch of Jews who have been out in the wilderness um, thousands of years ago. Okay, so one thing, they didn't have all the Bible, right? Because only this much 
has been written. You know, this part is still what's left. Um, and so, they were, you know, all the Bible wasn't, wasn't finished yet, so they didn't have a whole Bible. Also, they didn't have paper at this point um, to where they could just walk around having a hardback Bible for each one to do their morning devotions and their time of meditation. Um, this, it was passed down orally. And, and so, they had to learn what, these, you know, what Scripture was. And then just to meditate on it. They had to think deeply upon the truth of Scripture. Uh, And so God is saying here that we should meditate on His Word. Um, And then He says not just meditate on it, but that we should do it. That we should be obedient. God desires your obedience. He didn't want the Israelites or the church uh, to wander away from His ways. God, just think, think of like from a parent's point of view. As a parent, you have rules, instructions for your children. You have those because you love that child and you want what's best for them. Same with God. He's our Heavenly Father. He's given us these instructions for us. They're not, they're not because He's mean and He, he wants to be a, a joy stealer from your life. He's saying He knows, what's, he knows how you're wired And he's saying, you doing this will bring you the ultimate joy in your life. So he desires our obedience. But then look in Joshua, though. There's something contingent upon our obedience. You see at the end of verse 8 that us being prosperous and our success, you see it's it's tied to to the obedience. But I I just want to make sure you understand that how the old covenant, new covenant works, that this is, this is what I talked about a few weeks ago about promise and principle. This is a promise to the Jews, not a promise to the church, okay? There, I can find other verses to go to, to 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 help you understand this, but this is not a promise to you. Joshua's success was directly tied to their obedience. And as we'll see, they become disobedient they win a couple battles, and they think, oh, okay, we've got this. We don't need God anymore. And they become disobedient, and then they start losing battles, and they start, okay, we do need you, God. And so their battle, their war, is directly tied to their obedience. But I want you to see in Matthew 28 that Jesus doesn't tie that. Look at this. Um, Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Notice here, again, Christ desires our obedience. But there's not a contingency here. Well, what happened? What's the difference? See, Joshua and his men, they could never obey fully God's commands. And so you see Israel, they they, they never fully, God said, I'm going to give you this land. Well, they never really get the land fully. They get some of the land, and even when they get some of the land, some of, some of the tribes don't want the land. They don't think it's good enough. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a mess. And so they never really settle in to the promised land completely. They always have some kind of turmoil. Um, when we get to the book of Judges, it's the very next book after Joshua, it's just, it's just a complete disaster. They're hiding in the mountains now. Um, Because they were never fully obedient. 
But this is the beautiful part is I think the reason you don't see that in Matthew 28 is because Christ, Christ was that obedience for us. So we can have prosperity, we can have success, but it's found in Christ's obedience, not yours, not mine. Romans 5, 19, share some, shed some light on this. Says this is for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many were will be made righteous. So this is talking about the one man's disobedience. This is talking about Adam in the garden. Because of Adam's sin, the many were made sinners. We're all born with a sinful nature because of what Adam did in the garden. But then you see the second part of that. So by the um, one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So this is the idea where we are saved by works. It's not your works. It's not my works. It's by Christ's works. Christ lived a perfect, obedient life. And because he was perfect, now we receive his righteousness. It's incredible. So I think that's why you don't see in Matthew that great commission, why there's this contingency upon, upon our life um, with success. It's a, that's a train out back. We're not, it's not going to fall in. This is, this is normal here. But God still desires our obedience. He does not call you out of slavery to let you just go free. He calls you out of slavery to then serve Him. We see this... Um, all throughout Scripture, but let me just read a couple. James 1, verse 22. This is command for the church. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The church in America right now is under a lot of uh, heat, um, a lot of assault just on um, how we live. Like, American Christians are known... Just just a stereotype that we're just a bunch of hypocrites. That we come in Sunday morning and, and we hear about, you know, how we should, our lives should look like Christ. And then we go outside the walls and we live however we want. And James is saying, you, that's, that's not, you're making a mockery of the bride of Christ. As the church, you're called to live a pure and holy life. That we are called to do the words of God not just come in on Sunday mornings and listen to the Word of God. We are called to do the Word of God. We should be the Word of God. Romans 12, I don't know how many of you have gotten to this far in your community group. I know some community groups are in Romans 12. Romans 12 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul is reminding us that you used to live that way. That was the old self. That self is dead. That's what baptism is an example of, that you've been buried and now you're raised to new life. And so, um, as you're this new life, you're called to a new way of living, that you put on the things of Christ. 
that your life should look like his life. The things that Christ would do, that that's what you would do. That's what making a disciple is. A disciple is basically like a spiritual game of follow the leader. So if Christ says jump on one leg, you jump on one leg. Christ says to clap, you clap. So when he says to love one another, he might actually mean for you to love one another. And so this is the idea that your, your life, you're, pre- you're presenting your body as a living sacrifice, that, you're, that you understand that, that, that there's a war going on. And Jesus understood this. This is why he, he told the disciples, he warned them, this is going to be hard. He said, count the cost. Over and over, he said, count the cost. When you become a follower of Christ, that there's going to be many that's going to hate you, that things aren't going to go the way you think, that uh, the world will be um, opposed to you. The world is going to hate you. But he said, you know, don't fear because the world hated me also. Uh, and, and so this idea of living sacrifice, that you're waking up every day saying, Lord, I'm dying to myself today. I am dying to my pleasures, all my, the things I'm, I'm seeking after that's for me, I'm, I'm laying them down. I'm dying to those today. I'm going to seek your will for my life. And I pray that your desires and God's desires are the same. That's a sweet day. But we're called to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Another metaphor the, the New Testament uses for the church is the bride of Christ. Now, how many of you would want an impure bride? You know, as I'm talking to guys and they're looking for girls to date, I've never met a guy who said, man, I want a girl who's been with so many guys. Ne- never heard that from a guy. And vice versa, if I'd ask a girl, she'd say the same thing. But why would you think God would not want a pure bride for his son? Jesus deserves a pure bride. So we are called to live a holy and acceptable life to God. So our God is in control. Our God reveals his mission. Our God desires obedience. Fourthly, our God provides his presence. Man, I love that. So when I, I joined the military in 1997, and one of the first things we learned in basic training was you, you, you don't go off by yourself. It's one of the ways you're going to get picked off. If, if you're isolated, you're going to get picked off. And so in the Army, we learned you had to have a battle buddy. So whenever we went anywhere, we had to have a battle buddy, somebody with us to watch our back. And uh, it, it's crazy to me how many of us in church... We think that we can do this on our own. God's called us to a war, and many of you try to live this life as a Christian in isolation. You are not meant to live the Christian life isolated. So some of you come on Sunday mornings, but then you spend the rest of the week isolated. Uh, One of the ways that we try to help you is we give you a community group where you gather with them during the week, and that's a great time just to... Just to share, you know, struggles, uh, you're, you're reading scripture together, you're encouraging one another, uh, and, and so you've got a battle buddy with you. 
when you have that hard week, you're not alone. Um, the Christian is not, to meant, is not meant to live his life in isolation. You're meant to do it in community. Uh, and so, man, we need that. In the church life, we don't call it a battle buddy, which would be kind of cute, but we call it accountability partner. We need each other. That's why, like, D groups, like tonight, I'm meeting with a couple guys, and uh, I can't wait for that. And there'll be a time of we just confess sins to each other. Um, we're going to be encouraging one another. Uh, we know what each other struggle with, and so we text each other throughout the week. Uh, we have each other's back because we're at war. And so God doesn't leave us on our own. He provides His presence. And so even though we have accountability, there's going to be times you might be isolated at work. You can't take your accountability partner with you wherever you go, but God gives us His um, presence, and it's, and it's always near. So look at Joshua 1, verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Why don't you just let that set in on you? No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That's an awesome verse. Now, like, there's something, I don't, I've, I don't know what it's like to be inside the mind of a woman. I'm guessing it might be similar in this regard with being a man. Like, there's certain things that just get you just, you know what I mean? Like, just, I don't know what word you put in for 2020. Um, maybe, maybe like, courageous, I don't know, stoked, I don't know, 1987, um, amped, I don't know, 1992 maybe, I don't know what it is now, um, lit, maybe 2015, like you're just like, ah, okay, like think about that, no man shall be able to stand before you. What if you woke up every day thinking that way? That nothing can stop you. He goes on, he says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. We have a God who's in our corner. He's fighting for us. He's fighting with us. He's fighting near us. That he's with you. You're not alone in your struggles and your battles. You are not alone. The presence of the holy God is with you. He continues a little, a little later in verse 9. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want, just be real for a moment. Why would God, okay, let's just do some basic theology. Does God know our thoughts? Yes. So if God knew Joshua's thoughts, he could write the Joshua, whatever he wanted. Why do you think he writes the Joshua over and over? The most common thing we see in that little section is, be strong, be courageous, do not fear. Why do you think God would instruct him with those things? Because he's scared, he's afraid. Why? Because he knows, he knows what's across the river. He's already gone across the river once. He was one of the 12 spies, he's gone over, he sees how big they are, their military is better than theirs. He's new to the job. He's afraid. And God says, Joshua, don't be afraid. I'm with you. We come to Matthew 28. 
Jesus tells us the same thing. At the end of that, he says, you know, he, teach, he wants us to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Then he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have nothing to be afraid of. One, because we know we win. Two, because Christ has sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. But it's interesting how he doesn't bring up fear. But I know for most of us, one of the reasons, and I say the number one reason we don't make disciples, and you know, you know what step one of making discipleship, you know what it is? Evangelism. Evangelism is where discipleship starts, right? You've got to tell somebody about Jesus. The reason that I hear and that I read in books while we don't, while we're not good at sharing our faith, is, is because we're, we're afraid. We live in fear. And there's many, there's many reasons that we're afraid. It's not all the same thing. One, it might be, I don't know what to say, so I'm afraid of what to say. I'm afraid of saying something stupid and making it worse. Let me just remind you that they're already lost, okay? So if they were to die today, they would spend forever in hell. You, you can't make that worse, Okay? Some of you are afraid that you don't, you're afraid of what they might say back, that you might not have the right answers. They might talk about, they might bring in science, they might bring in the problems of evil. And so there's that fear. And then there's like the fear of, I just even, I don't even know how to share my faith. That's the one I want to make sure we as a church do a good job where none of you can say that. I, I I, I am with you on those first two. There are times where I'm afraid. I'm afraid of man, if I'm just being honest. Not that I'm afraid they're going to punch me or shoot me or arrest me, but I'm risking that relationship, that if I share the name of Jesus to them, they're going to put me in this camp to where I may not have the same relationship that I had with them. So I'm just being honest. Like There's moments I have that fear, but I don't want us to have this fear that I don't know how to share my faith. So you saw a video a little bit ago from Three Circles Evangelism Training. It is one of the best, it's the best that I've ever seen and used on how to share your faith. So if, if any of you are in that category of I'm just afraid to tell people about Jesus because I, I just don't know, I just don't know how to, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up, I'm going to invite you to come back next Sunday night. We're going to start a six-weeks class. You don't have to be all, all six weeks. You should be all six weeks, but if you miss one or two, it's okay. And this is completely free. The church, because you give money to the offering box, the church has bought supplies for you. It's at no cost. The church is funding it all. You'll get a, a book, and the videos are purchased already to where you can get training on how to share your faith. And this is such a great, um, a great tool because what it does, it, it, it's, it's not like... There's some, there's some of those evangelism tools that they're just so unnatural. And th this, is, this is not like that. It's, it's, it's so natural. It's, it's, it's taking your ordinary, everyday conversations you're having already with people. It's training you to listen to their brokenness or listening for their brokenness, which we all have. Everybody has brokenness. And then you take that brokenness and you point them to the gospel. 
It's great. So we want to just invite you to come back to that. So we want to equip you to be able to, to go out and share your faith. But no, when you go to share your faith, you are not alone. God is already at work in that person's life. God's already working in your heart. He's working in their heart. I truly believe that God is in so, he's in so much control that right now there's people you work with, you go to school with, they live on your street, that he's already doing a work in their hearts, that he, he's softening their hearts to where all they need to hear is the gospel from you, and, and they're just going to receive Christ. Um, there's been times where I've shared the gospel and as I'm sharing it, I'm like, man, I'm doing such a great job. Like, they're get, like I know they're going to get saved, and probably just people walking by are going to get saved. Because I'm just, I'm nailing it. And I get to the end to where I invite them to respond, and they want nothing to do with the gospel. Then there's other times where I've shared the gospel, and I'm just like, man, Lord, I can't, I don't know why, I just can't communicate well at all. I think I'm leaving parts of it out. And I, I'm just like, well, I know you don't want to be a part of this. It's, you know, I, I've messed all this up. But if you want to, just, just, you know, if you'll pray with me and just, you know, understand the truth of the gospel. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm like, really? From that? And so I, I know that salvation is a work of the Lord. It's not in, it's not in our, how well we communicate it. It's a spiritual thing that we can't control. So we are, we are at war. It's, it's a different war than Joshua was, was in. Like it, it wasn't about a, a sword and a shield and conquering land. But now it's about making disciples of all nations. Knowing that Jesus is, um, he, he's, he's set up the victory for us already. That we are victorious because of him. And So let me just give you a couple tips, warnings as you continue to battle and go to, go to war. Number one, don't get distracted. This is so easily done. So in war, in times of war, when you're living in that place where you're in war, so let's say you, maybe you know somebody who's spent, maybe like they've done a nine-month tour or a year tour, two-year tour, somewhere in the Middle East, overseas. At some point in, in their mind, they can begin to live like the civilians in that area. And so they have to be so focused and not get distracted. I want to remind you that that's who we are here in America. That this is not home for us. That we're just here. We're at war. There's a battle going on while we're here. And it's just for a certain term. We're on, we're on a tour. Okay? And... Sometimes we can get distracted and we start to look like the Americans that we're living around. We, we, we begin to live like the world. We begin to live like the civilians. And, and so God's calling us, don't get distracted by materials, by things of this world. Stay focused on the mission. Make disciples. That should be what's here, not security and retirement and, and uh, um, plumbing in our house, you know, all the problems in our house. I can get so distracted with projects in my house that a week can go by and I'm working on a project and I just, I just wasn't focused. 
There's also the idea we get distracted on what's, what's primary. So make disciples as primary. And so oftentimes churches hurt themselves because they get distracted. Uh, like in, a, like in, a war, in wartime, primary needs to stay primary. And then you have secondary and tertiary issues. And what happens is sometimes we make these tertiary issues primary. And we do that in church with things like music. Like we can make, pri- we can make music primary issue. Like stylistically, like you might not like this music. And so we're going to like start another church because of this music or just tertiary issues. They're important, but they're just not primary. You know, every song we sing is not my favorite song, but it's, it's not primary for me to sing my favorite songs. Making disciples, that we're all coming together to encourage one another to make disciples, that's primary for me. And so in, in, in wartime, there's this phrase, it's called a hill to die on. And I think it, it's very relevant for our church too, like, what battle are we going to die on? Like, there's certain battles, like, we need to fight, and there's certain battles, like, you know what, it's not worth it. Making disciples is a hill to die on. We've got to be about that in this church. So don't get distracted by civilian living. Don't get distracted by um, uh, tertiary um, agendas. Second tip, warning. Be aware of friendly fire. My goodness, there's so many wounded Christians who've been shot by their own people, and they're just not a part of the church anymore. Man, I told you earlier, this Christian life is not meant to be lived in, in, in isolation. It's so important for us. Well, Satan knows that, and so if he can get us to shoot each other and wound our, wound our, our family... All of you, I'm sure the hands would just go up in masses if I said, do you know somebody who's been hurt from church and are not in church right now? That might be even your testimony, that you've been out of church, but now you're back because you, you were hurt for a period of time. We do this all the time to our own self. So be aware, friendly fire. Your words matter. How you speak to each other matters. James chapter 3 says your words are like poison. They can, they can kill people. So we're called to encourage one another. That's why we encourage you to come at 1030. We have this time where the first service just ended before the second service begins. You come in at 1030 and you just encourage one another. That's a place to, to build each other up because we're all at battle. We're all at war. We don't need to be fighting with each other. I opened this morning with this idea that it's easier to go to battle or to do something if you know the end result. And so I gave the example of, you know, it's easy for me to have confidence going out playing a fourth grader in basketball because I, so far I'm, I'm undefeated. Um, I'm, I said in the first service, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to jinx myself that there's going to be this fourth grader that beats me. I'm going to come back and confess. But up to this point, I'm undefeated. And so I have confidence. We as Christians should leave this place with extreme confidence because we know the end of the story. We have the end of the book. See, Joshua didn't have the end of the book. We do. We're looking back. He was looking ahead. So I want to close this morning with an article from uh, Desiring God from John Piper. And he talks about how 
this victory that we have should motivate us. So just, just think about this. And I, I'm only going to read the end of the article. I posted it to our Facebook group this morning. The whole article is much longer. I'm just going to read the end. But it says this. It says, the divisive, the decisive victory has already been achieved by the Lord of glory. That's incredible. Like, you don't have to, to do it. You've already, like, because of his victory, we just inherit that victory. 1 John 3.8 says this. says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2.14 says, Christ took on human nature that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Colossians 2.15 says that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Satan's time is short. The dragon's head is off. He is flailing in the death throes of defeat. At God's appointed time, the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur and will be tormented day and night forever and ever. For the followers of the Lamb, so that's us, the church, the implications for their warfare are stupendous. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.33 Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So as Satan begins to whisper in your ear this week about how you can't, you can't, you can't, you just whisper back, shout out to Satan, say, Jesus can, Jesus can, Jesus can. Romans 8.38 reminds us that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John 4.4 4 says, he, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let us pray, therefore, that we will not be lulled into the sleep of appeasement, as if the Hitler of hell had no intentions of world conquest. As 2 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 11 reminds us, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. And though the warfare of the world is not the war of chariots and horses, the Lord Jesus is no less a warrior today than in the days of old. So let us come as willing soldiers as the Prince of Peace and declare the truth of Psalm 18, verse 34. He trains my hands for war. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. So I'm going to end this morning just with a question. Are, are you ready for the battle? Because you're in one, whether you're ready or not. If you're a Christian, you are in a battle. And then the enemy hates you, despises you. So are you ready for the battle? Let me just leave you with like this thought. Like, please understand that 
we leave this place this morning with a promise of victory. So some of you may have come in defeated, feeling defeated. I pray that you leave this morning encouraged, that you live and, and you leave this place knowing that you are victorious because what Christ did for you on the cross, that he fought your enemy. He defeated Satan. We win. And this promise is made by the one who is in complete control. Not only is he the promise maker, but he is the promise keeper. Let's pray. Father God, we know that you are a God who's at work. You haven't left us to fight by ourselves. You've left us with each other, and namely, you've left us with you. But you've already fought the battle. And so, Lord, may we just cling to you. I pray that we would leave this place encouraged, that we would leave with a sense of boldness, knowing that the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. That we are meant to live a life on the offense. That there are people you put in our lives who are lost, who are going to hell. And you put us in their lives to tell them the good news of how they can be saved. So Lord, may we take seriously this great commission. May we go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, may the great commission, may, may it never be just some, some scripture on the walls of our church and a map but may it be written in our hearts. Or may we go and make disciples. May we accept the call to war. May we cling to you as you do battle for us. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.